Welcome to the Evolutionary Androgen Podcast. I'm Charlotte Alea, and I am on a quest for the stories that reveal to us our evolutionary potential. I search folklore throughout time and from around the globe that hold the keys to transform humanity's current crisis, from fractured and separated to whole and healed. As we unify feminine with masculine, a new version of us is emerging. This episode is dedicated to all of the non-binary and transgender warriors of love, now and throughout time, courageously stepping beyond cultural and societal rules, disrupting the norm, and thus transforming our world by breaking us free of the female-male polarity. Thank you for being unequivocally you in a culture that often resists your light. We are in the midst of a massive global awakening at the moment to the fact that the old hypermasculine order of control, borders, nation states, colonialism, and conquest does not serve our world. It destroys it. It causes genocide. With eyes wide open, we are witnessing the immense cost of children's and innocents' lives, and it is just not worth it. Meanwhile, our world's most powerful leaders are doubling down on their antiquated, violent ways. And this is waking us up to the fact that the systems in place will never lead us to freedom or peace. So why am I mentioning this today? Because the timing of this global awakening is in perfect alignment with our collective prerogative to shapeshift into the evolutionary androgen. Throughout the past year, we have explored the alchemical process of the evolutionary androgen through myth and folklore. First, we discovered that we must reclaim our hidden feminine natures from the underworld. And then we must die to the current toxic masculine and rebirth him through our feminine embodiment. Then we must reconcile feminine and masculine, balance them, and bring them back into love inside of us which births the sacred third, the divine child, and creates a new world consciousness. Right now, more than ever, we need leadership that builds bridges. We are so done with a consciousness that pits, quote-unquote, us against them no matter who they are and we are. Unfortunately, in times of crisis like now, I see the polarizing and division breaking out within communities. All of a sudden, if another is not following a specific set of cultural or political practices and behaviors, that person becomes the enemy. Whenever we create a division between ourselves and another, That division lives as a shadow within ourselves. We are polarized 
split in half. And so the healing and transformation must always begin within. And the most powerful way to do this is to bring together feminine and masculine as one. Welcome to the violet ray of transformation. Think of each step we take upon our evolutionary quest as one ray of a rainbow. The divine feminine archetype of the violet ray is the shape shifter, that aspect of us that is always malleable, living outside of time, behind the veils, within our imaginal cells, ready to help us metamorphosize when the time is ripe. This part of us is slippery, primal, and is driven by pure eros and desire. She cannot be controlled, and so she is feared by many. The divine masculine archetype of the violet ray is the trickster, the edgiest of edgy divine archetypes. No one likes the trickster, but he is an essential cosmic force within us all that ensures the continual transformation of our world. When we are stuck in our ways and refusing to see the truth or consequences of our actions, the trickster will come and give us a firm kick in the heels, sometimes trip us up and knock us over. I'm currently healing from a fractured ankle, and I'm fairly certain trickster energy was at play when I suddenly lost my footing, twisted my ankle, and fell to the ground. The culture at large does not like the trickster or the shapeshifter because their purpose is to shake up the status quo, to break us out of the molds of antiquated norms and systems. The shadow we heal under this violet ray is the criminal, the fear that we will be cast out or punished if we dare to break with the norm or cultural rules. One of the primary shapeshifters of our current world is the evolutionary androgen. She, he, or they that dares to build bridges beyond polarization and division, even when the majority of the world has yet to understand and embrace the wisdom they bring. The story I'd like to tell today is a celebration of the androgen, as well as a coming-of-age story. So, (laughs) I don't personally like Greek and Roman mythology much, or at least the versions that have been recorded for us to read today. They tend to be laden with violent, patriarchal storylines, rape, conquest, all the stuff we're trying to get away from. But I have sorted through the debris and discovered a nugget of gold. Then I polished it further through some minor edits and inspirations of my own. I bring you the story of Hermaphroditus, child and offspring of Hermes and Aphrodite. I believe that many of the Greek myths that we know today were not patriarchal in their origin and were actually adapted from previous cultures and civilizations. 
This is the thing with folklore, handed down word of mouth from generation to generation, it always adapts with the times. And this is precisely the problem with mythology. When it is written down and published, it doesn't have the opportunity to shapeshift. Since shapeshifting is what inspires us today, and because it is the subject matter of this story, I present this story of Hermaphroditus, adapted to serve the 21st century evolutionary antigen. Our story begins with the union of Hermes, the Greek messenger god, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love. But let's go back a bit further. Hermes is well known to be a later evolution of the Egyptian god Thoth, who is an evolution of an even earlier divine being before the world used the labels of god or goddess. And he was much more than a quote-unquote messenger. According to some in the Western mystical tradition, Thoth is said to have been a giant of celestial origins and to have taught humanity the keys to spiritual transformation. As for Aphrodite, many believe that she is an evolution of the ancient Sumerian goddess of heaven and earth, Inanna. If you listen to the first two episodes of this podcast, you will be familiar with Inanna, a fully embodied, earthy goddess of life, sexuality, death, and rebirth. So in Hermes and Aphrodite, we actually have Thoth, god of the air and sky, and Inanna, goddess of water and earth. The merging, you could say, of heaven and earth. When Hermes caught his first sight of Aphrodite, he was transfixed by her beauty and instantly fell in love. He professed his love to her, and she rebuked him immediately, which was not an unexpected thing. Aphrodite had so many admirers. Men and women alike professed their love to her on a daily basis. So great was her allure and her beauty. Hermes wasn't going to be put off by one rejection, and so he set out to prove to the goddess his intentions. When an eagle stole one of her slippers as she was bathing in the river, Hermes caught up with it, swift as he was, and returned it to her. Aphrodite was quite taken by this kind gesture and looked Hermes in the eyes then and returned her love to him. They did not marry. Neither of these divine beings were the kind to settle down and take just one lover. They made passionate love for one long, beautiful night. And as a result of their lovemaking, Aphrodite gave birth to her son, Hermaphroditus. Hermaphroditus had the body of a boy, but was said by the muses that he held the spirits of both his mother, the divine feminine, and his father, the divine masculine. His mother loved him fiercely with her whole heart. And so it broke her heart when she was told by Zeus that it was not her destiny to raise him. Aphrodite sent Hermaphroditus to be nursed and raised in sacred caves by her water nymphs. 
There was one particular nursemaid that Hermaphroditus grew particularly fond of, and she of him. She nursed him for nine years, and they hoped they would stay with one another forever as mother and son. She filled that empty space in the boy's heart that was created when his mother gave him up. Hermaphroditus asked Zeus, the cosmic lawmaker, if it would be his destiny to stay with his nursemaid and merge their bodies together so that he may come fully into his feminine half and be whole. But Zeus returned that it was not his destiny. And in fact, he separated them at once. With a bolt of lightning, Zeus sent Hermaphroditus from the water nymph's caves into the wilderness. Hermaphroditus could do nothing but wander the lands, airs, and seas. He wandered for many years, learning all the divine crafts of earth. He learned to hunt, fish, build, weave, sing songs, and read the stars. Soon he grew into a strong, handsome young man with the physical beauty of his mother, the sharp intellect of his father, and a heart full of love and yearning. Even though Hermaphroditus learned all that he could throughout the lands, he still did not feel whole. One day, while he was visiting a mineral spring for a bath and soak, the nymph of that spring, Salmachus, spotted Hermaphroditus while he was ready to disrobe, and she fell instantly in love with him. She approached him and professed her love. Startled by her appearance, however, Hermaphroditus rebuked her and sent her away. She made as if to leave, but in fact went behind the stones of the spring and waited for him. She was not going to give up so easily. After Hermaphroditus had submerged himself into her healing waters, she coyly dipped herself into the waters too, joining him, but pretending not to pay attention to him at all. Now, Salmachus had Hermaphroditus' attention. Softened by her healing waters, he looked into her eyes and saw worlds as yet unknown to him. He felt a magnetic pull drawing him to her. And at that moment, Salmachus returned his gaze, and they rushed into each other's arms, wrapping their bodies and lips together in a hot, erotic sexual embrace. They made love within the waters and afterwards did not wish to part. For to Hermaphroditus, it felt as if he had found his second half. And for Salmachus, it was the same. They called upon Zeus and asked if their wish may be granted, if their bodies would be merged together and become one. This time Zeus responded that it was in fact his destiny to merge his male form with the female form of the water nymph. And so... Within the healing waters, Zeus used his lightning bolt to merge two into one, and Hermaphroditus was ever after neither she nor he. Hermaphroditus, although of divine form and free to roam the heavens, chose to live the rest of eternity upon earth, 
close to the healing waters of the springs. Whatever company Hermaphroditus would find, they would surely be inspiring the people with their heart of gold, captivating them with their beauty, alluring them with their depth and mystery, and amazing them with their quick wit and clever intellect. What I love about this coming-of-age story is that it reveals the importance of rites of passage, specifically from childhood and youth into adulthood for the evolutionary androgen. This rite of passage from childhood to adulthood is scantly honored in our culture, And few recognize what an immense transformation we have to go through in order to make that transition from one stage of life into another. The rites of passages that we do have handed down to us through ancestral tradition, quite frankly, need to evolve. For example, cisgender girls have their menarche when their wombs initiate them into womanhood. But what of the transgender girl or boy who either does not have a bleeding cycle or does not wish to honor it? Most of the stories I've been told about rituals for boys to become men would frankly just not fly these days. They involve dramatically and sometimes violently ripping the boy out of his mother's arms and forcing him into a series of secret initiations that involve extreme physical tests to his masculinity and manhood. It sounds to me that these old rites of passage train girls and boys to be polarized patriarchal women and men. Our world is ready for something new. And this revised story of Hermaphroditus is at least a start. One of the most important shifts we make in moving through the passage of childhood to adulthood is separating from our parents. They cease to be our primary beloveds, and yet we live in a culture that does not understand how painful that change can be. The mother and child or father and child must let go into a different form of love in order for the child to find out who they are without them. I've been listening to a lot of mothers who have young adult sons talk about how their sons seem lost. They bounce from relationship to relationship and they rarely hear anything from them. It's as if the boys know they must leave their mothers, but they don't know how. So they seek her out unconsciously in the love of another woman. In this story, we witness the pain of Aphrodite having to let go of her son and also of Hermaphroditus having to forsake his nursemaid, who was a mother figure to him. We see him wandering, just as young men wander today, seemingly aimless, but not because he is getting to know himself through the world around him. And by doing so, he is seeking out his destiny, which he stumbles upon at the healing spring. 
Hermaphroditus had to reject his mother before he could truly find wholeness with his divine feminine half, Salmachus, who is his destiny. The healing spring is significant, as these pools represent the primordial water of Earth's womb. If Earth has blood, these waters are it. Mineral waters gain their healing powers by becoming enriched deep within the Earth's underworld body for sometimes hundred or thousands of years. So he truly is dipping himself into the deep, rich essence of the Earth's wisdom. This spring is stewarded by the nymph Salmachus, which we soon find out is his second half. While Hermaphroditus is outwardly beautiful and quick-witted, Salmachus is inwardly deep and mysterious. When Hermaphroditus stumbles upon this spring, he is recovering and retrieving the source of his own feminine womb waters through the body of Mother Earth. And Salmachus, a being of water and earth, discovers the source of her masculine essence in the light, cosmic, and airy nature of Hermaphroditus, so that she also becomes whole. On our journey of healing and becoming the sacred androgen, whether we identify as she, he, or they, and whether we were born and raised as male or female, we must reconcile this relationship with our two halves, feminine and masculine. The child version of us clings to the image of our mother as well as other primary feminine role models, as representational of the feminine, and to the image of our father, as well as other masculine role models, as the masculine. And we do this in all kinds of unconscious ways. When we cling to the images of our mothers and fathers, or the cultural feminine and masculine, this doesn't always look like desire. It can look like aversion rejection, disgust, and hatred, we may equally be comforted by the familiar presence of motherhood and fatherhood as enraged. And we act out that disgust, aversion, and rage, or that codependent attachment in both our personal relationships and in our projections of the mother and father upon the world around us, i.e., the leadership of our world. We must make a choice to leave both the mother and the father behind before we can set upon our destiny's path to discover what truly is the divine feminine and the divine masculine expressions within the earth and thus within us. To leave behind the cultural imprints of feminine and masculine is a ritualistic, ceremonial process. In essence, it is spiritual and it is earthy. We need rites of passage. We need containers and processes that will usher youth into adulthood ready to transform the current paradigm rather than cling to it or scream at it angrily, but not know really how to change it. We need young adults who are already the change. As I said in the beginning, right now, more than ever, we need leadership that builds bridges. 
and the youth of today will be the leaders of tomorrow. What if our rites of passages could usher us into becoming the bridge, could teach us how to heal from division and polarization, could help us to honor the beauty and gifts of the feminine and masculine within the earth and within each of us? That is a world that I want to live in. I'd like to share something personal, which in part inspired the creation of this episode. The topics of each of these episodes are not chosen at random. They drop in by divine inspiration based on the initiations that I am currently moving through. So currently, I am rewriting one of my own rites of passage. A few nights ago, I had a dream where I was shown a new version of my life between the ages of 13 and 15, which was my rite of passage into womanhood, my menarche, when I began my bleed and began to break away from my parents and define who I was anew amongst my peers. The old version of my youth, the one that I lived out, was one in which I felt terrified that it wouldn't belong. And I clung to a group of friends I was so relieved to have made, content to remain on the sidelines, not believing I could have anything more, because this was precisely the way I belonged with my family as a child. The new version gifted to me in this dream was one in which I fell deeply in love with a boy in the other world. And his family embraced me and took me into their inner circle as if I had always belonged there. I got pregnant and was guided to give the child away for a higher purpose. Now, even though it may sound like this story is about a too young child getting pregnant and having to give it up, this was not the feeling of the experience at all. It wasn't sad. It was full of love and meant to be. Its essence resonated with the story of Isis, Osiris, and the birth of Horus, if you caught those episodes. Oh gosh, this is getting me inspired about potential themes for coming episodes, and it has me percolating on whether there will be a season two of the evolutionary antigen. I haven't yet decided. My first question that I'd like to leave you with as we begin to wrap up this episode is this. Which rite of passage of your past do you wish to rewrite into a new story? What life transition left you dangling with unresolved threads of the past or provided no map, no guidance for the coming years of your life? What would the younger you have needed in order to come more fully into your own? The shapeshifter within us can time travel. She can bring us back to those crucial moments and rewrite the past to help us transform into the person that destiny calls us to be in the here and now, the evolutionary antigen, equally feminine and masculine, balanced in light and dark, a bridge maker, ready to transform the world. We have two more episodes to go after this one. So here's my second question for you. Is there more that wants to be excavated from the annals of myth and folklore? Or is the next step to evolve the folklore, write new stories for the awakening consciousness of this generation? 
What do you think? However you might be watching this episode, I invite you to drop me a note and let me know what you, if anything, would love to hear in a season two or a whole new podcast by yours truly, Charlotte Alea. We'll be back next month with a different story from a different part of the world as we journey to the black ray of wisdom. You have been listening to The Evolutionary Androgen, A Mythic Quest, with me, Charlotte Alea. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in.